Hallelujah. You know, around the world, that word hallelujah in most nations and tribes, uh, that, that word is spoken in the same way in every language around the world. Hallelujah. You can go anywhere in the world and you can say that and people have some understanding of what you're talking about. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I apologize for any of you who may have recently experienced the death of a loved one. I am going to preach about death today. I don't apologize that I'm preaching about death. I just uh, ask the Holy Spirit be with you if you're still grieving. And certainly uh, when we think of death, we think of those who have gone on before us. And all of us have experienced that, some connection within our family. I have buried several of my family members, three of my grandparents. I preach their funerals, so I... I do understand the grief that goes along with it and the reality of it. Uh, y'all know also that uh, my daughter-in-law, Jamie, and my wife, Lana, and I, we've been called in twice on our son, Dave, and said that he would not make it. So we've, we've been there right at that, that moment of uncertainty. And so, uh, so I don't preach about it, not, that it, not because the grief is not real, but just simply because the Word of God and one of the scriptures I'll use today, and we're reading in Hebrews, is just so blunt. So the title of my sermon is, Here Comes Death. Here Comes Death. And I don't mean that in a morbid way, but just in a real way, that the reality is it's in the Word of God. Now, if you're visiting with us, our church has been studying in the book of Hebrews over the last six, seven weeks. So if you want to catch up with us, you can read this afternoon in the book of Hebrews. We're in about chapter 10. I'm going to preach from chapter 9 and wrote a devotion on this passage on Wednesday. And so, kind of to get you up to speed... Chapter 8, 9, 10, all talking about the high priest. Remember I preached a few weeks ago that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn in two, is rent in two from top to bottom. And so signifying that the high priest doesn't have to go in behind the Holy of Holies anymore. Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, we're allowed to come into the Holy of Holies. Now, I just said that in a few sentences it's much more powerful than that, much more awesome than that. You get to come to the Father through Jesus Christ. We're talking a lot about all of those animals that were sacrificed century after century after century, year after year, slaughtering of goats and sheep and all that blood running there. And the priests went through the rituals day in and week out and then the Day of Atonement. One day a year, which I'll emphasize to you on the Jewish calendar, is Tuesday, Wednesday of this week. All that's going on. And so, so the writer of Hebrews is telling us once and for all, Jesus Christ came, so we don't have to do that anymore. He died once and for all. And so that's what he's talking about in chapter 9. And then, then he ends with these verses. So I'm going to read them first off out of the New King James and then also out of the Common English Bible. So I'm going to read two versions. Hebrews 9, 26 and 28. And he then, that is Jesus, would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifices of himself. Madeline, my granddaughter, was down here. She's the one who said, when I said, what happened to Jesus? And she said he was crucified. I I don't know that she fully understands what that means. I'm not sure if us big kids fully understand what that means, but we're trying to. He was crucified. He fulfilled all of this. He took away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. Verse 27, just boom, all of a sudden then He says, And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. 
So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time. Second coming? He just said we're all going to die, and then he says I'm going to appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Let me read it out of the Common English Bible, a little easier to understand. Verse 26 again. If that were so, then Jesus would have to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. Instead, He has now appeared once at the end of ages to get rid of sin by sacrificing Himself. People are destined to die once and then face judgment. In the same way, Christ was also offered once to take on Himself the sins of many people. He will appear a second time, you can bank on it, not to take away sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. The key verse I want to focus in on today is 927. People are destined to die once and then face judgment. Let me just talk about the word judgment for a moment. Does that mean then every time somebody dies, there's this court of law and a judge is sitting there and there's counsel for everyone? That's not what it means. There will be a great white throne judgment one day, as it speaks about in the Word of God. Every nation will come. Every knee will bow. That will happen. But what does this mean in judgment? Well, a judgment can be made. It's not always necessarily a bad thing. The decision could be that this judgment passed. Is the sentence is good. They've been freed. The other could be judgment. They have been condemned. But that all occurs at death. Everyone shall die once, and after this, the judgment. Let me give you two examples. We've been talking about the cross. Picture the two, the two thieves that were hung beside Jesus. They're all crucified. It's interesting the conversation that they have. One of them condemns Jesus. They're hanging on the cross. Jesus knows he's dying for the world. He's also dying for these two. One of them mocks him and says, if you're really the Son of God, why don't you take yourself down and save everybody? The other guy, humbled but yet a thief, and says, hey, hoss. He didn't really say hoss, but you can look it up in the Bible. But he, they're having a conversation. Hanging up there dying. And he said, we're getting what we deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he asked Jesus, would you remember me in your kingdom? Just like that. And you remember what Jesus told him? Well, in a few years, you know, Jesus said this day, you will be with me in paradise. Now, I know the word paradise, Abraham's bosom, there's different terminology of heaven. And in fact, Hebrews uses the word heaven eight, 17 times as you're reading along. You'll see heaven or heavenlies. So there's something happened there. There was a judgment based on the decision that these two made. This day you will be with me in paradise. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Again, there's some mystery there. I don't fully understand all that. I know that's what the Word tells me. Jesus also said about judgment, He told a story in Luke 16. Luke, the 16th chapter, two men died. There was a rich man who died in Lazarus. You remember the story. And Jesus said they were taken up. The rich man was taken to Hades. And there was torment. It also says that Lazarus, though, was taken to Abraham's bosom, a heavenly realm, a dimension. Again, mind-boggling to us, bigger than our mind can really absorb, but he was taken to a heavenly realm. There was a conversation. Abraham and the rich man. The rich man asked, could I come over on that side? Or he asked Abraham, could you come across and just dip some water on my tongue? Abraham said, that cannot happen. There is a great gulf fixed. Jesus said this again. I'm, if you want to look it up in Luke 16. Jesus said there's a great gulf that is fixed so that one cannot pass over from the other. 
And so then the rich man said, well, I've got five brothers, and they don't know this. Could, could, you, could you get Lazarus to go back? Get him to go back and tell my brothers about this. Abraham said they've got the law and the prophets. And then he said, though one rise from the dead, they still won't believe. Now, Jesus was prophesying about himself. So again, it is appointed in a man once to die, and after this, the judgment. That is the judgment. What we did in Christ here, you can't go back, Jesus said. There's a great gulf that is fixed. It doesn't matter if we like that or not. Those are the words from Jesus in Luke 16, 26. These verses in Hebrews, at the end of Hebrews, reiterate the fact that Jesus' sacrifice is once for all. He doesn't need to do it year after year as the priest had to. It doesn't need to be repeated. He suffered and He died once at the consummation of all ages. Basically, it means that Jesus' death, think about it, is the climax of human history. Now, I know we have Him rising from the dead, and I thank God for Easter, but there would be no Easter unless there was a death. In order to rise from the dead, you've got to die. See, I'm smart. I can figure that out. He died. It's the climax of history. So that everything that we've been reading in Hebrews, everything before His death is building up to it, and everything since is affected by it. I mentioned heaven. Let me read to you just a couple of verses ahead of this in Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the truth, but He into heaven itself. He has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Again, 17 times in Hebrews it mentions heaven. Let's talk about the second coming. Again, just kind of a blunt statement. He's talking about heaven, verse 24. Then he talks about it's appointed unto man that wants to die, and after this the judgment. And by the way, I'm coming back. All that's in those last few verses in chapter 9. And then we go on with chapter 10, but it's like, wait a minute. I wanted to preach on these. Let's talk about his second coming. He will come a second time. And I say this every time I mention the second coming. It's closer than it's ever been. Now, I can say that tomorrow, too, so I'm safe in saying that. It's closer than it's ever been. Jesus said we do not know the hour, but Jesus said you can know the seasons. You can, you can see the signs and know. So he's coming back. The Bible is blunt about it. Jesus was blunt about it. When he comes the second time, it will not be to die. He's already done that once and for all. But he will come to complete his mission of salvation and then complete and final judgment. September the 22nd and September the 23rd, day after tomorrow. I've mentioned this in the sermon a couple of Sundays ago, but I think it's interesting in that we're studying Hebrews and some of the significant things that are happening in the Jewish calendar. So just remind you that Yom Kippur, which is the Day of Atonement, will happen on the Jewish calendar beginning Tuesday here in the United States. Remind you that on the Jewish calendar, a day begins at the end of sunset. Sunset, that starts that day. It will be the 22nd here, Tuesday. The morning of the Day of Atonement, which will be the 23rd in Israel. Israel is eight hours ahead of us. There will be a test on this in a little bit, so you better keep up with it. They're eight hours ahead of us. I just have interest in it because we've just been to Israel. 
But on the morning of the Day of Atonement, as we read about and we talked about a few weeks ago, in Hebrews, the high priest would go in behind the Holy of Holies to atone for the sins of the people. Year after year after year after century after century, all that blood, and he would go in and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat behind the veil once a year, the Day of Atonement. That is going to be day after tomorrow. I just think that's kind of significant and kind of cool. The other thing, and some of you, and I've got two copies, and I went and saw a movie by John Hagee, talking about a book that he wrote about the blood moon and the red moon. That is literally going to occur. There were four tetrads, four blood moons that will occur. This is a scientific fact. And I'm going to give you three scriptures that it talks about it. A blood moon means that the sun is here. The scientists, we know that God created this earth. It's rotating around. It's going around the sun. The moon rotates around the earth. What happens in a lunar eclipse, which will happen next Sunday. In fact, you can see it. In, the North, in, our, in North America, you'll be able to go out on Sunday the 27th and see this red moon. So what happens is the earth gets between the sun and the moon, called a lunar eclipse. It's been happening for centuries. It's a scientific fact. It happens. It's not a solar eclipse, but it's a lunar eclipse. What's interesting is called a tetrad, meaning it happens four times. And what John Hagee preached about in the Bible, I mean the book that he wrote about it, He's not saying, because some people said John Hagee said the Lord's going to come back on the 28th. He didn't say that. What it is is that historically something significant has happened to the people of Israel on this tetrad, on these four. Two of them happened in 2014. The last one happened in April of 2015 on April the 4th, the day before Easter, happened to be for us. The other one's going to happen the 27th and the 28th, next Sunday and Monday. You'll be able to, from about 7 o'clock until about 12 o'clock on Sunday evening, you can go out and see this lunar eclipse. They're mentioned in the Bible, and where the prophecy comes from is first beginning in the prophet Joel, Joel the second chapter. There was a prophecy given that mentions a blood moon. It also mentions the day of Pentecost. And so when we read in Joel 2.31, we'll know that on the day of Pentecost in Acts the second chapter, Simon Peter came out and explained to people when the Holy Spirit was given, Jesus said, it is expedient that I go to the Father, for I will send you another helper. He will come and He will help you. So the coming of the Holy Spirit, that happened in Acts the second chapter. Simon Peter quoted from Joel, and this is the one verse I want you to hear. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. The other place that it's found in Scripture is in Revelation 6.12, and the moon became like blood. Again, am I trying to scare you? No, I'm not. I'm trying to tell you that Jesus Christ is going to come back, and there are prophecies that are going to be fulfilled, and there ain't nothing we can do about it except hang on for the ride. Things are going to happen because he said it in his word, I will come back. Just as surely as he said, I'll come the first time, he even talked himself more about the second coming. And the most details that he spoke about his own second coming, you can read in Matthew 24. Matthew, the 24th chapter. The disciples asked Jesus a threefold question. Jesus had just prophesied that not one stone would be left upon another in the temple. Some people said, he's a nut, that ain't going to happen. He's crazy. But the disciples knew Jesus was a God of His Word, 
And so they pulled him off to the side and said, well, when will these things be? Now, Jesus didn't tell them exactly when it would happen, but we know it did happen in A.D. 70. The Romans wiped it out and wiped out the temple, and not one brick was left upon another. Jesus prophesied that it would be so. In asking that question, they also said, well, Lord, when will, what will be the sign of your coming? And what will be the end of the age? That's all in Matthew, the 24th chapter. And then Jesus explains all of that in Matthew 24 about His own second coming and some things that will happen. I want you to remember just one verse because I'm getting to a point of coming back to the dying thing. Jesus said this in Matthew 24:44, After He talked about His second coming and the end of the age, He said, Therefore you also be ready. Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So the emphasis on everything that he said was be ready. And so for me this morning, while I love prophecy, and I know some people just, I I know he's coming back. I I don't get worried about all of that. And that's fine. As long as you're ready. But an even greater urgency is this, is the fact that I could die before next week. So I'll just be morbid and pick on myself. And my wife's sitting here and she heard the sermon this morning too. But the reality, the truth is, I may not make it past this day. We're not guaranteed this afternoon. So the reality is, is that I could die. I preached a funeral last Sunday afternoon of a lady who died unexpectedly. Four children, Raymond called me. I pastored them up at Crossville. When I realized it was Raymond, his voice, I thought, well, his dad has died because his dad has been very sick. He said, Harvey, Mama died. We had no idea. Would you come and help with the funeral? I'd be glad to. I read at her funeral, which is common for us preachers to read from Ecclesiastes, the third chapter. You know it. Ecclesiastes 3 says, To everything there is a season. There is a time for every purpose under heaven. There is a time to be born, and there is a... What does it say? He's told us there's a... There's a time to be born, then there's a time to die. And then he explains more about timing of things. But then he says in verse 11, the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says that God has put eternity in their hearts. He's put eternity in their hearts. So, we humans know that this is not all there is. There's something else. While there may be some mystery to it, we know there's something beyond it. There is an eternity. I attended another funeral this week on Wednesday. Reverend Tammy Jackson pastored here. Tammy and her husband Joseph lost a brother-in-law. Live right across the street from him. He's 56 years old. I'm 56. So I thought about that. He died very unexpectedly. Very unexpectedly. What does all this say to us? It says to us that death is a part of God's plan for us. And apart from His second coming, there's no avoiding it. No matter how hard you try. I aggravated the doctors, and I know there's some in here this morning in this service too, but Dr. Caldwell and Dr. Howler in the early service. Doctors can and do, and our nurses and our health facilities, they help our quality of life as best they can. The medical field can extend opportunities for longer life, 
But inevitably, we die. In fact, I, I love all you doctors, but guess what? Every one of your patients are not going to make it. But you see, they know that too. Old Holiness preacher, by the, I think it was Uncle Bud Robinson. I've quoted this before, but old Uncle Bud, he said, you know, about 10 out of 10 people die. What about this death thing? Well, we know that it is a punishment for sin, as God told Adam and Eve in the garden. You remember? The day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. Now, they didn't drop dead right in that moment, but they started dying. And people have been dying ever since. God decreed it. It's part of the plans. It's part of the, the problem of sin in this world that we live in. Why did God appoint everyone to die? And I realize that some of you may be thinking, well, I know in the, New, in the Old Testament it says that Enoch and Elijah were just taken. They didn't really see death. No, not in the sense that we think of it, but they left this earth. This body didn't stay here. And I think probably there's been more besides Enoch and Elijah that have been taken. And the rapture's coming. So yeah, but you're going to leave this earth. You're not going to stay on this sinful world, which is a blessing. Why did God people appoint people to die? What applications should we get from the fact that we will die? Is it reasonable to see death as a blessing in disguise for us? It guarantees that we need not live forever under the curse of sin. Hallelujah. Death is a new beginning. Meaning that those with eternal life can live forever in the presence with God without the consequences of sin. So there's an upside. Paul said to die is gain. I used to didn't understand that, but that makes sense. And that's why we're able to say with confidence, our loved ones are in a better place. I've heard that hundreds and hundreds of times. Let me just read to you that they are. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from heaven. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Pastor Ken Casey, he was in the early service. I said that you know, probably Ken and I have gone to more funerals than anybody. And I know we probably preach more. Hundreds and hundreds of funerals I've preached. But there's a land. A place where there'll be no more death. And I won't have to preach any more funerals. No more pain. No more sorrow. No more dialysis machine. He's put eternity in our heart. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said it this way, For as Adam, as in Adam all die, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at His coming, there it is again, becomes the end. Then he goes on and tells us in verse 50, in 1 Corinthians 15, if you're writing that down, 1 Corinthians 15, 50, now this I say, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God, 
nor does corruption inherit corruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead in and the dead will be raised incorruptible and will be changed. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal body has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up by victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, therefore, this is an important therefore. If you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to know what it's there for. So just because of all of that therefore, Paul says, do this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Be steadfast. Be steadfast. Be immovable. And always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What does all that mean? It means keep on keeping on in the meantime. I don't know when He's going to come back. I know it's closer than it's ever been. I know the facts. I know the truth. He's coming back. And I know that death continues to be part of my life. It's a part of our lives. Let me close with something very comforting. And you can close it out for me. But a part of Psalms 23 says this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then he closes with confidence, saying, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Praise God. Our confidence is not in our own word. Our confidence is not in the fact that we've all sinned and fallen. My confidence is not in my filthy, stinking, righteous rags that I carry. My confidence is in Him who died for me. That's why Hebrews keeps pointing to that everything was pointing to Jesus. And so our confidence is that I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever because I'm ready. Death is coming. The second coming of Christ will occur. What should we do? Jesus told us. Be ready. Be ready. In the meantime, be immovable and always abounding in the Lord. I'll close with a prayer that I wrote on Wednesday morning. I've changed a couple of words to it. You don't have to close your eyes, but this will be the amen to the sermon. Lord, I do accept the fact that death is a reality that we all must face. I also claim and reclaim that You came and You died for me. And Your death and Your resurrection assures me that I do not have to face death alone. Help me to live for You today knowing that your death and your resurrection covers my tomorrow and my forever. Let's pray together. God, I praise You today. I thank You for being so honest and so real to us and for us in Scripture. And I thank You, Jesus, that You made it possible that we can be ready Lord, we know that death is going to come. It's appointed unto man once to die. You said so. We also know that You're coming back. Lord, I pray that we're all ready. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that you're ready, brother or sister, you can be. You can pray even right now. Lord, I repent of my sins. I ask You to forgive me. And I ask You to come in my heart, Lord Jesus, and save me.
can pray that prayer even now. Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do in the human heart and draw us to Jesus. For we pray it in His name. Amen. Our closing hymn is 100.